Hello everyone, I am Dave Thompson. I'm the Director of Education here at the Academy of Cleaning Excellence. And today you're listening to our third episode of Talking Clean in a Dirty World. There's a lot of things that go on in our environments each and every day, every month. And this podcast or, well, video cast, if you're watching on video, is to, well, just bring people together and talk about what's going on in the world today. So, I'm going to be joined today by several individuals. I'll bring them on and let them introduce themselves. Good Hello. morning, Don. Good morning. Don Tracy here, Gem Supply in Orlando, Florida. Hey, I'm Bobby Zagers, and um, Gem Supply lets me hang out and do sales and marketing. Morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Javier Cuarta, a building services contractor in Tampa Bay. Modern Cleaning Solutions is uh, our company. Good morning, gentlemen. You know, as we uh, start this conversation today, I think that um, for us here in Florida, there has been an, well, a, you know, traumatic instance uh, situation for some of us. Some of us not so much, but I thought it was interesting as I was thinking about today. Here I am in the middle of the state of, of Florida, uh, broadcasting to you today from Orlando. But the people on this panel are from, well, both sides of the state in the coasts. And when uh, Ian came through, it affected all of us in some way as it made its uh, swath through the middle of the state. Gentlemen, um, how did you make it through? Well, in Tampa, we didn't have any, where I live in Oldsmar, we didn't have any significant weather. I, it was, um, we had plenty of warning to mm -hmm. get and move for A and B in the Tampa area. I just, I questioned it even back then, like what were they thinking south? Because they were moving us out of Tampa and Pinellas for A's and B's three, four, five days when the storm was still under Cuba or right above Cuba. And and um, they weren't doing anything down. It didn't seem like they just had A's going in, in those other markets, Manatee, Sarasota, and down. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that was the mistake, truly, if they're, if they're looking at them at forensically back, what they should have done is they should know that that hurricane can do anything and really should move everybody out that's an A and a B, or at least give them an opportunity to get out. Explain an A and a B for those who may not know that. Well, like flood, like your your hurricane zone, it's not necessarily a flood zone, but it's like your hurricane evacuation zone. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know people that where the hurricane came up pretty much right over their house that weren't told to evacuate right away, but we were told to evacuate three days before. And I'm in a B. Right. So B is a big deal to get evacuated because usually A is right on the coast and that goes all the time. I'm in the B part of it. And and uh, we were way ahead of the curve in Pinellas. And there's people in Charlotte County that didn't didn't really get the idea that they really needed to get the heck out of town until 12 hours before that storm hit. Um, whether or not, I don't know the, the timing of when they did give an evacuation to B, but it was definitely not when they gave it to us. And. Um, and that every time they delay that, it just delays people paying attention. Mm -hmm. And if they're, you know, if they think, well, it's not coming here, even though they're saying, oh, there's a warning, but it's saying it's going over here and that's where everybody's reacting. 
I think that was one of the, you know, looking at it, I'd say that that's an issue if people stay behind in those B's and A's because they didn't really know that this was a very serious thing. I mean, the lesson learned there is 12 hours before, they probably know where that storm's going. And if it's coming at you, get the heck out of town. I mean, if you're yeah. going to wait that long. Um, okay, Don, you're you're on the other side of the state. So how did it? Well, we had a little bit of a warning because we watched what happened down south. Um, up here in Daytona area, we we had about a probably a 24-hour notice of what it was going to do and whatever it was going to go. Once it said, you know, they were gonna, they mapped it out to go up through the state, most of the folks up here know that once it starts going through the state, it loses its power because it doesn't have the water to feed it. So there was a lot of complacency up here because of that. But the folks on the shore, uh, luckily, were told there's going to be a storm surge with this on right. our side as well because it's going out to sea and it's going to push the water back to us. So they did a very good job of mo motivating people to pay attention to that information and get out of town if you have to, board yourself up and get out. Um, so we didn't have a whole lot of, uh, I, I think the only loss of life we had was some tourist from Kentucky, I believe it was. I'm not sure. She decided to go out and look at the storm surge and get in the water, never to be seen again. I mean, some people are just adventuresome to the point of stupid. Hey, Dave, but, maybe uh, you can you can show, too, like down by our Kissimmee store, um, it flooded pretty well, made Fox News. It was on local Fox News, and then it was on the national Fox News. Mm -hmm. And uh, where they had an airboat rescuing people out of the neighborhood, um, and our store, right, yeah, the store's right in the middle of that. You can you could probably show that or add that in, Dave. But the um, um, people who've lived in Kissimmee all their lives, who are you know seventy years old, who I know, were telling me that they've never seen flooding like that. Um, and it's all because of their explanation for it. It's all because there's new neighborhoods everywhere. So. Well, and for those that are watching and listening, folks, what we're talking about in Kissimmee is in the middle of state here, uh, basically a suburb of Orlando. We're not on the coast, so we didn't get the storm surge that you gentlemen are talking about. But yet it just set the here for a long period of time and dumped all kinds of rain, uh, took out power that some people have dealt with for two weeks. Yeah. Javier, you have a particular viewpoint on this subject, I believe. Well, you know, I, I, I thought of the idea of the hurricane preparedness, uh, uh, you know, question for in general, pretty much for not waiting for the last moment. I thought it was pretty important because what I, what I noticed was like Bobby was saying, you know, with a lot of people with different zones and different areas that they had to be evacuated and all that stuff. And they were speaking. I remember watching on Bay News 9 that there was a lot of people that they were that the police department was having a lot of trouble. I mean, forcibly, not forcibly trying to get somebody out of their home for their own well-being. But at the last minute, they didn't want to leave their houses and all this stuff because they felt that they didn't have enough preparation, that they didn't want to leave because they have their animals, because they have other things like that. I think that it, if you get that in a mass scale, of people that are not prepared, not knowing what this, where the storm is going to go, what's going to happen. I mean, that's where your impact and, and loss of life is from. That's why I think Bobby made a good point a second ago when he said about 12 hours, usually they should know about 12 hours ahead of time. I mean, timing is everything. And it's not only because of losing your, your home or your property or whatnot. It's also for, for other people, for your lives or for whatnot. I mean, I have personally, I had when this whole thing happened, obviously everything shut down. And, you know, we, nobody was allowing people to come to work and all that stuff. But 
the good thing about that is that I had four of my people that live in Pinellas County. So they were in the flood zone and they had to evacuate. So, you know, had, had the storm, you know, if they, if they, they decided the people to continue to work. I mean, that would have been four people short there. But of course, you know, nobody nobody would ever you know question put somebody's life before the safety of anything. But it's just you know the, the preparedness is all around, and it's 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 having to do with how you know you take care of your 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 property, your building. Uh, what can you do to you know uh, just protect everything in general? And I don't think that a lot of people get it that although we don't get that many hurricanes, Lord willing, you know, we don't as a rule. Um, but it's just, it's, it's almost like you really want to have this boundary to know when you should be prepared and when to actually take it serious because yes, I mean, it was a bad hurricane. I mean, I I don't know if it was in the likes of Katrina, but probably maybe this uh, close to it or almost the same, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's really something that a lot of people here in Florida, I think, don't focus on that much until it really is coming up upon you or, or it's going to happen to you, that sort of thing. I, I think the thing here that's interesting about this, gentlemen, as we talk about this here at the start of our show today, is that disaster preparedness is um, something that people need to really pay attention to. I have a, right, right across, I live in a trailer park and uh, or resort, as they say. Sorry, folks. Uh, Got to use the right terminology here. Uh, you got to be more upscale here. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing is, is right across the street is a lady that works for FEMA, and she went through two years of stress that she couldn't believe. And when uh, this hit, she had uh, um, what they called removed herself from deployment because she said, I just can't deal with this anymore. I can't deal with this. Um, and she's on the side of trying to help people that have went through the disasters. Uh, and I thought it was interesting as uh, last week I taped a, a podcast with a gentleman, uh, Charles uh, Smith, and um, he talked about compound PTSD now, folks, I thought it was very interesting, and please listen to our podcast there, and you'll find out more about it. But um, the reason I think this is kind of interesting, gentlemen, is there have been many people now that have went through more than one of these events. And as he explained, compound PTSD is all of these things. And he said it was kind of like a seven-layer cake. They just build on top of each other. Um I'm sure that there are some people feeling that compound PTSD on, um, uh, especially the West Coast, or even in Tornado Alley, or uh, you know, you see these floods that are happening around the world. There, you know, we we have natural catastrophic disasters that are happening much more frequently. I, I mean, I, I agree. I think it's absolutely true. I mean. I mean, it's, it's, you know, when you think about it, all the, all the events throughout the year, I mean, anybody who could, you know, if you already have an issue with PTSD, let's see for, as an example, or even if you don't, but you know, we've had COVID this whole, the last two years, we've had all these issues going on with that, you know, people scared for their health safety. And then of course, now being here in Florida, then you're going to have a storm on top of that to, you know, to, to, to compile that. And then on, on top of your also your daily day-to-day stresses and, and everything else. And you just went through that, Javier. You're a business owner. You have people that, as you said, had to evacuate. You mm-hmm. were going through, Ian, and you had COVID to boot. 
Yeah, I did. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I did. I guess I got my my taste of it, you know. <laughs> I can I can give you guys a little different viewpoint of that because at my church we are um, we're gearing up to be more of a counseling center than we already are because our pastor is a trained and licensed um, biblical counselor. And what I'm learning through all this conversation that we're having is that there's so many folks out there that need to have counseling, and I'm not talking about going to a doctor or a mm -hmm. psychologist or any of that, and a lot of it is just one-on-one uh, -on -one talking with somebody else who maybe has been through the same kind of thing you have. And I think in that's our society today. That's what Charles was talking about. He j you just need somebody. You need an outlet, and you need to recognize it and talk it through. That's all he's saying. Yeah, and that's what we're finding is uh, there's a tremendous amount of isolation. COVID, there was already isolation because of the social aspects of social media and people being, you know, staying in their basement kind of to put a basic analogy to it but along with that it's also com compound that with COVID now we're making them stay there they can't go out and then we had two years of that it, it fed into that psychosis of I'm isolated and then people get to a point where they don't know how to reach out it just it just you're talking about compounding it it becomes a very compound process where as an old guy, I always said, you know, suck it up, buttercup. Go, go deal with your deal, right? But I'm learning that there's a lot of folks out there that really do have this trauma from all different things in life. I mean, their family traumas, all pick your pick your poison. But then you compound that with COVID or you compound that with, with any stresses, job stresses, all that. And you start to get a complex problem that can't be solved by just sitting there and trying to figure it out or taking a pill or going online trying to find some diagnosis. You got to talk to somebody. I know, two just, I, know two been, I know two nurses that have been traveling nurses because that's what happens in these uh, RV resorts. We have a lot of traveling nurses, mm -hmm. and they've just plain quit. They can't deal with it anymore. They can't deal with the stress. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, as, as I think about this, uh, Javier, I want to come back to you. Has mm -hmm. your service now had a lot of issues with cleaning up after all of this i mean you know we need to get back to business as usual if you will well we've been very fortunate as far as i mean cleaning up with, with the aspect of of you know dealing with with you know customers and stuff and with people that you know we haven't been able to do the job because of the closures during the hurricane period and all that stuff that's you know that's been acceptable understandable we were very fortunate that as far as physical damages or anything like that dave we didn't really come across anybody who really was was really uh harmed by the storm or during the storm period um as far as you know their buildings or you know damages and stuff like that so i haven't gotten a you know i haven't been informed of any of that yet since it happened um at all and it's been business as usual for us ever since you know this subsided but um i'm sure you know in, in, you know in other areas i think with us our biggest deal was you know, since basically everything was shut down for the week, uh, it's catching up now, you know, because okay. now that everything, of course, everything is blown off, blown over and everything's back to normal, it's going back and being able to provide those services uh, that they needed that really, you know, for didn't have it for that period of time. So it's, it's, it's kind of a catch up game, you know. Hey, Bobby, um, as he's talking about this, and I'm thinking about business as usual, I noticed that there was a lot of different types of equipment that was going out. 
Uh, now some of that's got to be restocked and that's got to be a an issue on the supply chain getting ready for what's next. Yeah, I don't in the in the 30 years of, of doing this and the amount of hurricanes we've had come through. I mean, I don't I don't think hurricanes are good for business in the uh, state of Florida necessarily for janitorial supply houses. I mean, yes, we do sell some blowers and you sell some wet vacs and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, we've even at sometimes sold generators in the past. But at the end of the day, our business was shut down for seven days from our most of our primary market. Um, we lost pretty much the end of the September um, as, a, as a group. So, I mean, it's one of those things where um, people from out of state will go, oh, there's a hurricane. Well, it's not like it was with COVID where it blew up and then you have a bunch of business. It's just, yeah, we take care of some issues. And we do end up selling some things to the people that are helped to help them take care of their facilities or the damage they might have. But at overall, it, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not great for the, uh, it's not great for the economy necessarily at the time it's happening. Um, cause that week of being shut down is a pretty big deal. If you think about it, it's five work days out of that month. It's a very small percentage of our customer base that is benefited by it. Yeah. Well, I noticed that there's a lot more inventory, um, and as I was thinking about this, I know, folks, we're not in Christmas yet, but the Christmas season, the holiday season, uh, customers are going to be doing floors and stuff through that time. Is uh, that going to be an issue? Are you preparing for that in any way? Are you talking about a gem? Yeah. Overall? Yeah. No, I mean, we we've kind of prepped for that over the last couple of years because with our partnerships with manufacturers, we knew what was happening in the, in like the floor finish industry, or, you know, what's going to happen in the chemical or the paper industry or the liner industry and what the lead times are turning into. And our team's done a great job of figuring that out, getting the right items in stock, getting sometimes more than we'd ever seen before so that we get ahead of it. And uh, I don't see that as an issue at all um, with us. Now, if you're not prepped, you're not prepared for that. And all of a sudden you go to, order from a manufacturer that used to give you a three to five day lead time and it's now six to 12 weeks or whatever number they throw out nowadays. Yeah, that, that's going to hurt somebody. Um, but we've been pretty ahead of that for the last, it's really been going on for the last year, year and a half, truly. Now, I don't think anybody on this panel went to ISSA unless I uh, missed uh, anything. I know it just happened last week. Uh, it used to be you go there to buy at a better price than you could ever get has i mean we didn't go this year we didn't buy at that special price is that really an issue these days no i don't i don't i don't think it's been about that for 20 years though dave yeah, you that, that went away a long time ago because you know you get any any deal that they're giving they they email you the deal um from the vendors if they even do any deals um so i don't i don't so know are there deals to be made at this time of the year? I mean, you know, some people are just now, I know that uh, some municipalities, their school, but their uh, budgets are changing. Yeah, I don't know if it's about that, Dave. It's more like right now what's going on is tremendous or has gone on probably for the last nine, nine to 12 months is tremendous amount of price increases and, mm -hmm. and price increases by manufacturers that don't necessarily follow the market. So, and that's what's going to really be interesting to see in the future, how that bites everybody, because these some of these manufacturers, maybe their sales are down overall as a group, 
So they're, they're taking advantage of this time to raise pricing way above and beyond inflationary costs, gas costs, whatever it might be, not lowering them when those costs have, will change. Um, um, it'll be interesting to see how the payback comes for them um, through the end user, through distribution, all the way back to them in the future. Some of them are, are operating in a uh, position of power where they feel like you can't maneuver around them at soon, but sooner or later, they're going to be there. That's not going to be true by the end user. Um, they're going to be able to make the changes they want with other vendors. And um, I think people are going to have a long memory on that when um, when they have manufacturers arbitrarily breaking contracts, um, raising prices 20, 25 percent multiple times. Um, people are going to remember that stuff. And uh, especially when you have other vendors who have the exact same pressures and have, have done a little di different way. They've handled their business a little bit more professionally, a little bit more or less um, uh, where they uh, panicky. Um, and maybe that's because they're, they're either run a more successful business, they're tighter, they're leaner. Um, there could be a lot of different factors, but that's going to, I know we're going to remember it. So, and, and I'm sure end users will remember it. Okay, so speaking of end users, we've got an end user right here. So <laughs> as you hear this, you're going, holy cow, what am I in for? They're hitting you up already for wanting a better price. Oh, you be you better believe it. And it's uh it it's it's absolutely right. It's it's going it's going nowhere but up. But you know, it's I think it's a lot of the what's going on though is in the preparation of a lot of it whether it's avoidable or not, what we what we can purchase or what we can buy, since you know, obviously we're talking about the supply chain issues and then and, and price increases. It's being able to prepare people or to get people going from the understanding that hey, things costs are going up. I'm not happy about it. And we're not obviously we're not happy about it. Nobody is. But so they're not in for this shock, you know, and that's what we've been doing. I mean, we've had to with our clients to a certain aspect, we've had to raise our rates. Um, nothing earth shattering. And, 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 you know, of course, with a lot of, you know, incentive for them and, and, and other in other things. But we we let them know ahead of time and give them a lot of, uh, of, of you know, uh, knowledge of knowing why, why things are going up and what these, these issues are. I mean, a lot of these people are smart. They, they can figure it out for themselves. It's not a problem. But. You know, we just want to know, it's like, hey, you're giving me this invoice today. It's 25% higher, like Bobby said, or whatever, 30% higher than it was last time. Well, the thing is that as long as it's fair and it's broken down, it's telling you why we're upcharging you is because, of, you know, the reason we, you know, we, we have a lot of things to pay as well. So, you know, to run a business. So it's, uh, it, it's that I think communication is like I always say, communication is the biggest thing. That's what's not affecting it because it's a big difference when you prepare somebody or let somebody know several months in advance that prices are going to go up because of uncontrollable circumstances. It's not a question of something that we can control. Uh, they can, they can prepare themselves and they can deal from it instead of having the sticker shock and saying, Oh, you know, whatever, here we go. This thing, <laughs> you know, you're, you're giving me a, this just giant bill now versus what I'm used to paying. So, yeah. yeah it's, it's, funny. it's funny you say that Javier, because we've had several vendors who, who do communicate well, who do tell us what's going on, give us plenty of time so we can notify our end user. And then we've had other vendors who just send that little email out to a generic email box, never communicating with the actual people that they dealt with originally and thinking that is how they're gonna raise the price. You know, it'd be like if you just send it to AP at the whoever customer or whatever and yeah. not the, uh, 
the actual person that that hired you um, mm-hmm. know what was going on. And um, that's where we've had some real um, drag outs because it's just uh, it's kind of a joke. You know, that's it's kind of weak on that, but is what I look at it as, because if you communicate it well and you'd have it from a position of strength, like you're saying, and it is legitimate, then we can pass it on along also too and communicate upwards. But when it happens, bang, bang in 24 hours and with no communication, that's a that's the that's been the issue. Yeah, I would be curious. You were keeping quiet. I just knew you couldn't stay quiet very long. <laughs> well, I was I was I was pondering as I like. Uh oh. Uh, I'm curious, Javier, uh, because, you know, I've been doing this a while, and Bobby's done it longer than I have, uh, and we've, we've seen cycles in this industry, never seen anything like this before, because the stupidity on the world stage has just never been there. So there's a different dynamic going on, but I'm curious about where is the break point um, for the contracting side of things? When you go in and you present to an office building or whatever, you can, you can clean their building for X, Y, Z. Where do you think the break point is where they go, well, we can do that in-house cheaper? Because I don't, in the past, it's been a cycle where they, folks would go in-house and then they decide, well, it's, this contractor's costing me too much. We can we can hire a few people and do our own. Uh, you know, it goes back and forth. It cycles back and forth between right. contracting to in-house. Do you think that's going to be a cycle that continues in this environment? Or, or do you guys have the... The leg up, I would say, because you have people. The biggest issue they're going to have is hiring somebody. They can't find anybody who wants to work, period. Exactly. Right. I think, Don, that we're always going to have the upper hand. And as a matter of fact, it's funny you mentioned that because I'm going through that right now. I have a condo building uh, in in South Tampa that uh, we've had them for two years as a good client of ours. And they're considering doing in-house cleaning right now. Of course, we're, you know, trying to tell them, you know, trying to convince them why they should, you know, of course, stay with us and not do in-house cleaning. But, you know, that's going to be a choice on their own. But I think the situation is that I don't think it's going to be a drastic change uh, as far as having building services contractors with a lot of these buildings and, and going with in-house cleaning. And the reason I believe that is that although a lot of these buildings I've come across my experience so far with dealing with these, these big companies, uh, these property management companies that have these buildings, a lot of the liability they don't want. I mean, yeah, they can save money by just paying a person, let's say whatever their base hourly rate or whatever, but what you know they don't have to worry about training anybody you know they don't have to worry about insurance costs workman's comp things like that and then a lot of these people that are going to be on a full-time position in these big buildings their employees that are 40 hour a week employees that they're going to require all kinds of different you know health insurance benefits uh 401k you name it everything that goes down the line so i think that when they at the end of the day most of them uh, a lot of them, I should say, that that really compare apples for apples, it still comes out a better deal doing you know business with 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 business services or build, excuse me building services contractors instead of doing it in house because in house usually in my opinion is normally good for like huge corporations like hotels. Uh, like a Hilton or Marriott or whatever, you know, because of course in that in that situation it wouldn't be feasible to to to, to do that. I mean, these are hundreds of hotels that are all over the country and they're they're huge, and they usually have a twenty four hour staff anyway. So, you know, in that, but as far as as dealing with price point issues, um, in in uh, versus hourly employees versus hiring a building services contractor we haven't come across too much of that problem it's been steady i think but that problem has always existed it's always going to be 
when they do their bottom line and then they say, well, we're going to maybe try in-house for a while. Most of the time when they end up trying in-house for the while, they end up going back to somebody else. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, that's, they, that's they, have to, they have to manage it. And then yeah, exactly. means they got to pay a, a fairly high price yeah. manager to run those oh, yeah. folks and, and coordinate and schedule and all that. The only advantage they have sometimes is that if they have an in-house person, they can do more things than just clean. They can go move furniture, sure. do a, more maintenance aspects, right? Yeah, more maintenance of a building. And so it's, it becomes a exponential issue to, uh, depending on how big the building is and properties, et cetera. Yeah. So, but I'm just oh, curious yeah, because I, I think that cycle, you're on the good side of things right now, I think, because in the cycle we're in, I don't see it going away for a couple of years. Um, people are not able to go in house because they can't even hire people to. I was at a restaurant the other night and it was just about ready to shut down because the, the cook was serving the food. He had no helpers. Don, the, the, the thing is, is, is automation, you know, I know that we, we've got automatic scrubbers, but that still requires the, the labor that Javier was talking about. You're talking about automated equipment, um, but most generally, is this automated equipment for the in-house or are building service contractors migrating towards that too? Well, it's funny you said that, Dave, because when you, we had put this on the agenda a while back and I had, I had I had a different viewpoint of it at that time, but since then I've been thinking about what is automation. You know, I I did some research on it this week, and uh, I looked up automation in our industry and automation in general, and and all of it always goes back to robotics. How many robots can you you put in a place? But the problem with automation in our industry is you still have to have somebody there to turn it on, chase it down, fix it mm -hmm. when it doesn't work, and it doesn't get into the the nitty gritty cleaning of what we do and on a general basis that. So you can automate large facilities. I just saw something that was a, um, an automated um, UV light system for schools or hospitals, which is really cool kind of because, you know, like a surgical center, they could turn this thing on, set it in the surgical center and let it run around the place and sanitize it. That's cool because right now they're putting these lights in and the person has to come in an hour later and move the light to a different place and on and on and on. So that type of automation I think works, but I don't know that automation is ever going to be extremely effective in our industry but automation well, I, doesn't mean just machines i looked this up too here's the dictionary definition the technique of making an apparatus a process or a system operate automatically so i think automation actually pertains to people as well automation mm -hmm. is when you are the manager of folks and you say i need you to go clean room a and the automation part of it is they already know what that means when you say that you don't need to go and handhold them and detail the parts out so the automation means in a in a personal sense, in a physical human being scenario, the automation is you get folks to do what you want them to do when you want them to do it, the way you want them to do it. No, that is. I think, a I think that last but point. That's that last point was really important there, though, because here at the academy, that's one of the struggles that I always am like, and, and it's like, why can't we get restrooms, which is only five percent of the building, to be right? We've got all of these tools. We've got all this stuff. And the problem is, is every person is doing it a different way. So automation, what you're saying, is making sure that we have a detailed process and everybody follows that process, not making a robot go do it. Right. Right. It just uh, cookie guys, cookie I, processes. I got to yeah. tell you, I would, I would ask you to look at it a little bit differently than that. Because, Dave, you're assuming they're all doing it wrong. I'm going to assume that they're all doing it correctly. But if I'm automating it, then I'm getting that person to be able to do more things. So if I it, like, it's not, oh, hey, why are we getting that wrong? We're getting that wrong maybe because we don't have enough time. 
So if, if I've automated something where if I've put a robotic auto scrubber out there, even though I got to turn it on and clean it, it still only takes me 10% or 20% of my time that used to take 100% of my time. So now I'm automated that everything I automate or everything that I mechanize increases my productivity. And that's really what we're selling here or talking about or asking for the employee to do is, is to increase their productivity so they can do it based on the instructions. Right. Because well, I think what was that interesting that comes from the, the lack of, of time. One of the podcasts I was doing, we were in a discussion, and this was, uh, we're doing a series of podcasts with the Center for Education Safety, and it revolves around indoor air quality. And we were talking about custodians and what they do, and we got to restrooms, and we had a discussion, if you will, over what color microfiber that everybody uses in a restroom. And, you know, I got to thinking about this thing, and, and it was like red only. I don't care what it is that you're, you're doing in the restroom. If you go in the restroom, it's red. I don't want to see a red microfiber used on the water fountain outside the restroom. <laughs> we can't even automate that because we can't all get on the same page from my viewpoint. No, I mean, that's a that's a very wide scope of saying everybody's doing that. I, just don't, I, don't, I don't work in those scopes. I'm thinking some people are doing that. So what we're trying to do is get the, with the people that are doing that, who understand that, or tr but are trying to get better at their job, they're not trying to, at once they figure out the proper way of doing it, now they got to figure out the fastest way to get it done properly. Yeah. And that's where automation and mechanization comes into play. Yeah. And that's what we do to help. So if, if, um, if you're looking at that, you can say, if we had a podcast back in um, the 1950s, would they have said, I could never see anybody ever running an auto scrubber if they knew what an auto scrubber was back then? They mm -hmm. were... You know, would would it be beyond what we'd think? And and it might have been. And it's nothing. It's it's just because we we just can't. We're just that's where we're in. We're in this this time period. But as as things move so quicker, so quickly. I mean, we 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 are uh, our job is to help them get this done faster at the highest level they can get it done with. Yeah, it comes from talking more, about more expedient, I guess. You know, but um, I I mean, just to jump in here real quick. I mean, I. I agree. Uh, I agree with you, Bobby. As far as is, is, you know, that definition of automation when it comes to, you know, for productivity. But, but also, Don, you're right about, uh, you know, the, you know, people thinking of our industry that it's going to be in the futuristic movies like, you know, AI that's going to be, you know, just robots cleaning your house and stuff like that, and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. I think that the human factor is always going to be involved in it. I mean, you just cannot yeah. rely. I, I mean, just my opinion, but I, I just don't think that you could ever rely on a machine to actually you know, substitute what a, a human being is, is capable of and what can't be so, done. So you don't want one of those those uh, restrooms that you go in one side and use it and then it turns and and uh, yeah, it it rotates around and another side comes over while the other side's getting clean, huh? Well, I like it, Dave, but I, I think I'd like to see it more in a movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, what, I think one of the things that it's missing is the architectural aspects of our buildings arab industry has never partnered or well it's not that big bird bobby doesn't like those big broad words. Uh, yeah don't don't use those words don't never use the nevers or always or hey, it's it's just not the it's just not, not fair. i understand it's just vernacular so uh, our industry as a whole i don't think maybe i'm wrong but i don't think as a whole our industry has not partnered properly or the building industry has not partnered with us 
to create aspects of, of public buildings, just public buildings in general, that are fairly easy to clean. They make so many things that are so hard to clean because they're pretty. And mm -hmm. if you look at it, you're talking about futuristic. Look at all the futuristic movies. Everything is plain Jane. Walls are smooth. White. Everything is white. white. It's, it's white and stainless steel. I mean, yeah, the interior designers didn't get bland. <laughs> Very easy to clean. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's the future world we're going to be in. Bland, plain, white, nothing. <laughs> Gentlemen, there's one other topic I want to talk about before we uh, end our show today. Um, and it, it also stems from a podcast that I did with a, a person that now has signed up to be on our uh, podcast on a monthly basis. And um, she talks about marketing. Uh, Mickey Anderson uh, talks about marketing. And one of the things that she talked about in our last podcast was that you need to know your customer base. And she's talks to what she calls small or micro businesses, uh, anywhere from uh, 500,000 uh, to uh, two mil. And one of the things that she talked about is customer surveys. And you know, as I thought about listening to her and talking with her during the podcast, I'm thinking, I, you know, I had to look at my personal side of it. I hear survey and I hit that click button. I'm out. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking, okay, so she's telling me this is what we need to do. What's the, I mean, I'm, I'm throwing it out here. Do you how guys like you lied on What do we do? Hey, Dave, how many times have you lied on a survey? <laughs> I, I lie on it all the time. Was the food great? Yeah, it was great. Was the service great? Yeah, it was great. You never get truth out of survey. Right. Well, there's Don's viewpoint. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I think personally, uh, for me, uh, you know, for us in the, in the on the BSC side, I mean, and it's the same thing with 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 you, with you guys on your side because, of course, you got to have good customer service or good surveys for you know you want to purchase from 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 the from the, <clears throat> from the shop. But I think uh, you know one thing is really really important is following up with people and making that a grave you know a really big importance i know like for example uh all all types of, of surveys but like google people have a lot of respect nowadays for for whatever the reasons are but a lot of people have respect for google uh for you know uh, how you rate somebody on google or any other search engine or how you rate somebody else on anything else even even when you go to um lead lead uh, finding companies like let's say home advisor formerly home advisor now angie's list which which they they bought them but they have a, a pro division for for commercial contractors and they one of their their attributes is that when you work with them they one of the most important things is to follow up with the client that's provided as far as surveys and all that stuff. And they, and, and they have these really cool systems where they can do it instantly. I mean, uh, you just get an instant email a person does on their phone and all they gotta do is click one button and that's it and you got your ratings. So, you know, that's, I think all that stuff for us on, on this side is really important because I mean, that's something that when you're dealing with the clients directly like that, especially when, you know, their buildings have been cleaned and, and all that sort of thing, we, 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 you know, people want the feedback. I know that we we're pretty big on, on feedback from people. I mean, we, we have monthly emails that go out uh, for customer satisfaction and um, we, we, we've been working on that actually since we started. So, you know, I, I think it's really important. 
Um, Javier, so. I like what you're saying there because I think this is one of the things that Mickey was talking about. She said, getting the feedback is just the first step. It's what right. you do with that feedback that makes it valuable. And I think this is why most of us don't give the proper, uh, I'm not going to use your word, Don, there, uh, the proper input <laughs> on the survey or the feedback form is because nobody ever follows up with us, so I give them the truth. And I think that's what you're saying here. And as I'm thinking going forward, is this the missing link that most of us experience? I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it's not good enough that you present a question or a survey to somebody. Hey, how did I do? Well, if they were busy or they didn't have time to fill out your survey and then weeks go by, months go by, and then you just forget about it, you keep moving on to the next one. That doesn't do you any good. It's like not sending them anything at all. The purpose is that you have to, you know, if they don't, they don't fill fill out that survey or they don't go about it. You you call them again or you 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 email them again or you stay on top. You say, hey, um, you know, I'm so and so, uh, and you know, we sent you an email. We're hope, hoping that you're very satisfied with our work. Is there a reason why you didn't get back to us or whatever? We understand that you're busy. You know, there's a process to go about it, but it's that follow up because if that follow up is not in there, then you might as well not send anything to anybody. Just wing it <laughs> you, know? you know as you say that Javier, you know i know that your age and my age is a little different so you might not have experienced this but back in my day i went in and bought a suit you know mm -hmm. uh, the, the you know the jacket the trousers the shirt the tie and mm -hmm. i got a thank you card in the mail from the salesperson thanking me for that those days have gone now it's like and so you know whenever that person would actually ask me a question. I was much more engaging with that person in a truthful manner because they were treating me personal. I think this is what we're talking about. Bobby, do you have a, I see you leaning forward there a little. Oh, that's just because my chair. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a couple things on that. I, I think that, I think it's some, depending on who you're talking about, the text message has, has become the thank you note. So the text message, the text message to a customer is a very personal thing. It's not that email going out to all the customer base. And um, I know in some of the things that I've dealt with a, a, as a personal, um, as a customer, when you have that um, back and forth on a text with whoever you're dealing with, that can be like your thank you note, Dave, um, in theory. Then then leads to a survey, and I'm a little more apt to fill out that survey. If I know that person's personally asked me to do that survey about them um, and give it an, an honest um, answers comparative to a generic, oh, here's here, I'm going to send it out to our 50,000 customer survey. Um, I found in our in our industry it might be a little different than, again from Javier's is our, our salespeople have personal relationships with their customers. Right. So it's right. an ongoing personal relationship. The best um, person who gives me usually the best feedback is a is is an engaged, um, self-aware salesperson because they can give, they can tell you what went wrong with the deal. They they know if um, they can figure out if it was their part of it, if it was operational part, if it was just we didn't have a chance with that customer, whatever that might be. But again, self-aware, fully engaged, typically um, veteran type salesperson can really give great feedback to the operation and to the whole company and. Um, and we get a lot of that from our guys, um, particularly Don's one of them. Um, 
And and those are the things they take pretty seriously because they essentially they are they know what's going on at their customer, and their customer is usually face to face and telling them the issue. And um, as long as they're bringing it to us without exaggeration, as long as they're bringing it to us um, in a business manner, it usually is is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Agree. Did I leave you speechless, Dave, or, or what's going on? <laughs> I, no, I was waiting for I was waiting for I was actually waiting for Don to jump in since you mentioned him by name and he's that salesperson and he is one of those. Yeah, I knew you were and I knew you were. <laughs> I'm playing your game, Dave. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, generically I said surveys because survey I get them all the time. You know, you go out to eat somewhere and you get a survey ten minutes later. How was dinner? How was this? And those things just drive me nuts. It's like, and there's other surveys I actually will fill out because I think if there's if I had good service or I had a good experience, I like to tell them that, and I give them a reason why. I don't I don't just type in the Xbox. I just write a little note say, "Hey, it was great service." But in general, generic surveys I think are worthless. And that's my opinion. But like Gentlemen, Bobby said, if it can be specific, if it's a specific survey, like Javier, even though, to his point. If you just did a job for somebody, a guy comes in and fixes your windows or you know, replaces a door, or cleans your house, whatever it is, something specific. How was our how was our presence? How was our appearance? How did our folks uh, put on it? You know, just something simple, and just little by little, you start asking those questions one at a time. Because uh, in Javier's instance, he's back at that customer probably on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Instead of asking them an overall survey of ten questions, just ask them one simple question. How how are my how did my folks treat you today? Were, were you treated with respect? Blah, blah, blah. Something simple. I think you get very good feedback that way because people will answer that. No answer that probably honestly. Mm-hmm. I had uh, the opportunity over the over uh, the couple of weeks before uh, Ian came through to be at two different school plant managers conferences, and one of them I had to travel to Missouri, and uh, we actually rented a condo uh, because it was a better price than a hotel room. However, I got a text from the uh, the owner that they had had an air conditioner leak and there, it had warped some of the floor, uh, but it had been dried up. No problem. Okay, so I get there. We walk around as most of us do when you get to some place you've been traveling all day. You take your shoes off. You walk around. Um, squish, squish, squish. No, no. That's what we kind of expected. No, dong, no squishy. It was all dry. She was right. Problem is, is when I stepped into the shower, I had black footprints in the, in the bottom of the shower. Oh, and I'm wow. like, wait a minute, hold I've been in my socks all day. I've only been out of my socks for just a few feet. Well, gentlemen, being in the cleaning industry, as we are, <laughs> after I got through with the shower, I can guarantee you, I put those socks back on and I walked to the closet and found one of these nice fancy spin mops. Oh yeah, those old cedar ones or whatever. Yeah, uh-huh, you got it. And it, <laughs> it was obvious that this dirty water that had come up from underneath this uh, laminate floor that was smeared across the dark floor. So you know, every time that you get through renting something, you get a revert a review place. You know, I don't send out the review like you said, Don, but I did do what Bobby said. I sent a review to the owner in a text message because that was personal to them. I didn't really believe that everybody needed to know, and it would have been a too lengthy of a thing, but I let her know all the details from my professional viewpoint about 
that. Well, there was a few other issues that I let her know, but I didn't put it on Yelp or all of that kind of stuff to make a big, bad, ugly thing. It was something that happened. I think this is the kind of review that you were talking about here. Ones that are more real, more personal, more yeah. to the point, and add more value to the whole process of actually helping the clients get the best from us. But I would carry a backup bucket list mop with me just in case that happens to you again. <laughs> and some sanitizer. <laughs> Gentlemen, it's been great talking with you again today. Uh, this is our third of our episodes here, uh, Talking Clean in a Dirty World. You can find us on YouTube. You can see that following right down on the bottom. We're at hashtag Academy of Clean. Please like, subscribe, share. The reason we do this is so that you can share and everybody can. If you have a topic that you would like for us to discuss, something that you've heard, you've got a viewpoint. Maybe your viewpoint isn't quite the same as our viewpoint. As you can see, we can discuss just about anything. Gentlemen, I don't know what's on the topic for next month, but I'm sure that it will be different and I'm sure we'll have a good discussion. Any parting words before we close for the day? Be safe. Yeah, stay safe. See you, Dave. Folks, please make sure that you go to academyofcleaning.com. Uh, there you can find everything about our, our classes uh, that we have. You will also find our Rockstar program. We're in the last days of nominations for this year. Go to rockstarcustodian.com. We also have our cleaning festivals that are coming up for this next year. Make sure you go there. We've got, we've, I think we're probably over 400 registrants right now. So uh, we'll be in four different cities uh, across uh, Florida. We'll be televising some of that. We've got some great speakers, some vendors lined up, a lot of new things going on. So please check out all of that and make sure that you take and visit our sponsor's site. That's jimgemsupply.net. Thanks, guys. Till next time. Make sure that you keep it healthy, positive, and proactive. Bye, folks. See ya. Bye-bye.